All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 23. Acts 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the pew in front of you. You're welcome to grab that and use it or follow along on the screen behind me. All right, so we're entering into Acts 23. Uh, We continue to take a look at Paul, who's just completed his third missionary journey and has arrived in Jerusalem. That kind of sets the scene for today. Taking a look at Paul's trials in Jerusalem, we're going to be reminded how we, like Paul, can find strength and courage to share our faith and our belief in Jesus with the people in our life who might be unbelieving and unfriendly to the gospel. Now, if you think of your own life and consider that there aren't many people in your life who you know of that are not Christian or who are not friendly to the gospel, I want you to consider hanging out with a few extra folk. You should have people in your life who are non-believers, and you should have people in your life who are not friendly to the gospel. It's one of the ways upon which God grows us, strengthens us, and helps us to trust and rely on him for the grace that we need to fulfill God's mission for our life. Now, it's one thing to know what to say about Jesus and even how to say it. But there's also the challenge of finding the strength and the courage to proclaim the truth in love. I hope you heard that part, in love. A lot of times we want to be right more than we want to be loving. And if you as a Christian are determined to share the gospel with others by way of being more right than you are loving, then you're going to find it to be very challenging to have people rightly respond to the gospel in your life. In this passage, we will see that the same Jesus who stood for Paul at the cross now stands by Paul in his trials. And we can expect Jesus to stand by us too. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus today, but have you ever been in that place where you're just utterly discouraged? Like you've given yourself to the Lord and and, and you're doing all the right things and and you're talking to people faithfully about Jesus, and you're trying to be an encourager, and, and, and you're trying to bring a good news message to your family. But every time you turn around, you're faced with another wall, another opposition, another degree of discouragement. Have you ever wondered if the Christian life is really even worth it? I've been there. Honestly, I think the Apostle Paul, as we'll find out today, might even be in that very place. And then Jesus shows up and changes everything. 
And I want to encourage you today as well to know and to believe that when you're struggling to share Jesus with others, you can count on Jesus to show up and encourage you to press on in the mission and ministry of sharing the gospel with others. In Acts chapter 23, we read about an account where one of the Roman commanders has placed Paul before the ruling council of the Jewish people called the Sanhedrin. On the Sanhedrin, we have Pharisees, we have Sadducees, and we have Essenes. But it's really the Pharisees and Sadducees who don't see eye to eye, and they're kind of constantly in conflict with each other. But right now, they're in conflict with Paul. And Paul is before this council, and we read of this interaction between them. It's actually the third trial. Beginning in verse 1, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began to speak to them, saying, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. And so he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. Am I on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead? This divided council, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, for the, the, the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believed in all of these. There was a great uproar. Some teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully we see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart, so he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. This is Paul's third trial in his short time in Jerusalem. And what we see is that Paul is afflicted. He's perplexed. Paul is being persecuted and he's being struck down but he's not crushed. He's not driven to despair. He hasn't been abandoned or destroyed. 
I believe at this moment Paul is wondering, but I also believe he has confidence that Jesus is with him. And that in the midst of these trials he's facing, Jesus will strengthen him. Let me ask you, when you face trials of any kind, where do you look to first for strength? Do you look to yourself? Do you dig deep within yourself and say, I know I can, I think I can, I know I can, I think I can? Do you look to your family? Do you look to your friends first? Or do you look to Jesus? I want to remind you of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Paul goes on to say, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. He says, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Now, I know that many people want the Christian life to be that pie-in-the-sky experience. You know, those, those opportunities where we, we, we can just live life in the clouds? Where we can live under this great blessing of God where all things difficult will go away? Who in here has experienced the Christian life to truly be like that? Look around, you're in good company, none of us. The bottom line is the Christian life is a life of hardship and persecution and, and difficulty. It's a life upon which you can't do it on your own apart from Christ. Now, so you don't think I'm the biggest downer in the world and in inviting you to a life of persecution, which by the way, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. That's inviting, isn't it? I also want to remind you that the Christian life is a life of blessing, is a life of having God's abundant favor. The Christian life is also a life upon which you can go through your life having every need met in Christ and not having to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or where you will sleep or what you will have to rely on when you rely on Christ. I'm going to call this a both ander a life of blessing and a life of suffering is the Christian life when we put it together. In this section of the book of Acts, we can clearly see how Paul relied on God's grace to strengthen him to carry out the mission of God. It was the grace of God at work and he relied on that. And we too can be encouraged that by God's grace, we can find the strength every day to do life as God wills for us and to fulfill the mission of God 
through us. When we think God can't use us, because we tend to self-disqualify. You ever done that? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have all the right gifts and skills that God needs to be used by him to do what he wants me to. Have you ever self-disqualified? Well, let me remind you of this truth. When God saved you, he didn't disqualify you. He qualified you. Not only did he qualify you, but he called you. Not only did he call you, he equipped you. Not only did he equip you, he's given you everything you need to live the life he has for you to live, but he's also given you everything you need to fulfill the mission of God for your life, through your life. When we think that God can't use us, let's look to Jesus and rely on his grace, which is completely sufficient for each one of us. And may we understand that his power is made great in our weakness. God doesn't want to use your best to advance through you. He wants you, he wants to use your weakness so that he gets the credit. He gets the glory, and you don't, and I don't. Paul's life was changed by Jesus, and each one of us who know Jesus, our life has been changed too. Why is Paul facing such opposition and trial anyway? It's because of Jesus. When Paul's life was changed by Jesus, his theology changed. In fact, he no longer preached that the law was the way of salvation. He now proclaimed the gospel of grace, which was authenticated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he accepted Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead as his Messiah, as his Savior and his Lord. And he also now was teaching That this Jesus who was crucified, dead, buried, and raised on the third day is also the Messiah of Israel that Israel has long awaited for, the Savior of the world. This was not a popular message. In fact, it was so unpopular, it is what is getting Paul to face trial after trial, threatening to kill his life. Essentially, Paul's message about Jesus is the very thing that Paul stood trial for. And I want to remind you today that if you stand for Jesus, you will likely be on trial your whole entire life by the world who will stand in opposition to what you say about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, and who will reject everything about Jesus until the spirit of the living God changes their head and their heart to see the gospel as truth. So don't be surprised when you're ridiculed. Don't be surprised when you're mocked. Don't be surprised when you're put down. Don't be surprised when you proclaim Jesus, people don't believe you. That's okay. 
It's not a ticket to be a jerk. It's a ticket to rely on God's grace and trust that he will do the changing in people's lives. Like Paul, we need to rely on Jesus to find our strength. As we walk through this text, we're going to land at a point where we'll be encouraged by three simple points of application for our lives today. If you're a Christian, you can live with confidence that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is for you, and that Jesus is going to use you to fulfill his mission through you. I'm going to get to those points and unpack them briefly in a little bit. But I want to take just a moment to reflect on a few things within Acts 23 that we need to understand in order to bring this to application in our own lives. A little bit of context. As Paul gets done with his third missionary journey, remember he enters Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he meets with some of the apostles. They welcome him, but the Jewish Christians are skeptical of him. So he has to prove himself to them. Then they're in the temple, and the Jews stand opposed to him, and they want to kill him. And so as a result, the Roman soldiers step in to prevent a mob from happening and crushing him. They save him. And then Paul asks to speak to this mob of Jews. And the Roman commander gives him permission. And last time we were in Acts 22, we got to see how it was then and there that the apostle Paul shared his testimony life before Christ, how I met Christ, and how my life has now changed as a result of Christ. This stirred the crowd crazy, and they wanted to kill him. And so this Roman commander, at the end of Acts 22, takes Paul to the barracks and chains him and is going to whip him to figure out what in the world's going on with him and why all this commotion around his message. Just before his beating, Paul plays the citizenship card. By the way, let me ask you, is it right for you as a Roman guard, soldier, commander, to beat a Roman citizen before they've stood trial and are found guilty? Well, the answer is no. To which the commander looks at Paul and says, are you a Roman so a citizen? He says, I, I sure am and by birth. So he pulls back, trying to figure out what to do with Paul. He goes to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. Now remember, they're in Jerusalem. They're in the temple area. And this commander has asked for a, an opportunity to put Paul before this council so that they can essentially question him. Paul's like, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. So this is where they're at. I don't think that the commander has asked the Sanhedrin to meet in their official courtroom. So I think it was out in the open. I think that there was also other uh, Jewish people who were both Christian and non-Christian, and then Roman soldiers who were witnessing this interaction. 
With that setting, with that scene in mind, listen to how this all unfolds. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. You would think the Sanhedrin would be cheering at this point because that's actually what they claimed as well, to live before God with a clear conscience. But what Paul was really saying is, my conscience is clear because the one we hope for is the one I know. His name is Jesus Christ. He lives in me, and I've lived my life sold out for him. And as a result of that, I now stand before you with a clear conscience because I've been forgiven in Christ. What happens Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Have you ever been slapped on the mouth for talking to people about Jesus? Maybe not literally, but how about figuratively? You ever been mocked or put down? Have you always responded when you get slapped in the mouth out of the spirit with kindness and humility? Have you ever responded in the flesh in those moments? I certainly have. I'll be honest with you. I think that what we're going to see about Paul's life right here is a reaction out of the flesh, not a response from the spirit. So how did, how did Paul respond. Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? He turns to this high priest. He calls him a hypocrite, a whitewashed tomb. Now, many scholars have a lot to say about this and Bible teachers, but I honestly think Paul was truly responding out of the flesh by identifying how corrupt and out of line this high priest was with the law of God. For the high priest to have Paul slapped in the mouth at this point in time was out of line with the law. The irony of it is that Paul's now going to step out of line as well. Have you ever done that? I want to share with you an example in my life, one I'm not proud of, but it's real so I can share it. I was in college. I was working for a clothing department store, a nationwide one, large one. I will reserve the right of saying its name. I was also, uh, it was a Sunday at noon, the store opened uh, I went, I forgot my name tag, and I was placed in a different department within the store that I normally worked in. Well, it just so happened that every once in a while, the CEO of this large department store nationwide would show up at local stores. And he happened to show up at the store that I was at that day. And so as the store opened, I see this gentleman walking around, and I approached him and I said, Good afternoon, sir. How can I help you? To which he said, what is your name? I said, my name is Trinity. It's good to meet you. What is your name? He told me his name. 
I won't tell you what it is, but he told me. And then I said, how can I help you? And he said, so where's your name tag? I said, I forgot it at home, and as soon as I'm done helping you, I'll go down and I'll get a new one, and then I'll have one for the day. So how can I help you? He said, where's your name tag? I said, I told you when I'm done helping you, I'll go down and get a new one, and so how can I help you? And then he says, just exactly, do you know who I am? Felt like I got slapped in the face. So I'm going to slap him back. To which I responded, no. And frankly, I'm not sure I even care. (laughs) Smack, smack. (laughs) To which he responded, I'm the CEO of X. I think you should go get a name tag. To which I responded, I think you're right. I'm going to go get a name tag. (laughs) That's not a proud moment in my life. It's a moment where I slap back. You ever done that? It's not how God wants us to respond. Remember when Jesus was before the high council, the high priest? He got slapped. He didn't slap back. With humility and grace, he spoke truth and love. I didn't get fired, covered by grace. But when we get slapped, we don't get a slap back. That's an act of the flesh, not of the spirit. Paul goes on. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? Now, when we act out of the flesh, I just simply want to show you how Paul responded because I think he responded now in the spirit. I'm sorry. Verse 5, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scriptures say, say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Why didn't Paul recognize the high priest? Maybe because it was not a formal council meeting. That's an option. Maybe because Paul's eyesight wasn't very good and he couldn't tell which one was the high priest. That's an option. I still hold to the fact that Paul actually responded out of the flesh and knew who he was talking to. But interesting enough, when Paul slapped back, he owned it. And he quoted Exodus 22, verse 28. And I think one of the reasons that he was suggesting that he couldn't recognize him is because he wasn't acting like a high priest. So let me ask you this question. How many times have you revealed to others that you're a Christian? To which they've responded with surprise. I didn't know you were a Christian. 
you haven't been acting like one. That'll preach all day long, won't it? As Christians, we're to act like them. And when we don't, we're to own it. And when we own it, we're to confess it. And we, when we confess it, we're to make it right. When we live the gospel in life, we live a life of reconciliation towards God and others. We make the wrong in our life right because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Verse 6, Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and Pharisees, and so he shouted, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and, and I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. See, Paul knew that there was this opportunity to, to maybe look to the Roman commander and say, you know how wild and crazy these people are? I'm going to show you. Why am I on trial? Well, in the previous chapter... We discover, men of Israel, help us. This is the man. These were the accusations against Paul. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. Paul wasn't on trial because he brought a Gentile into the Jewish courts was on trial because of his theology, because of what he believed about Jesus. And so are you, and so am I. So he says to the group, I'm on trial because of the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't, so they turned on each other, and they started fighting. And essentially, the Pharisees stand up for Paul, who was a Pharisee, and they're like, he's like us, and he believes like us, and so therefore he's one of us, and you're wrong, no, you're wrong, and so, and I think Paul's like going to the commander like, see, they're nuts. They're crazy. So the crowd is now going to attack Paul, and they're going to kill him. As the conflict grew more, verse 10, more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Paul saved by the Roman soldiers. Taken to the fortress. You know what fortress this is? Do you remember in Acts 12 when Peter got put in prison? He was shackled and chained. The, the, the fortress at the temple grounds. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and he releases his chains and then he frees Peter and Peter's out. And we talked about how sometimes we're held captive by chains and then Jesus comes and he frees us and, and we're free. This is the same fortress. What do you think Paul's thinking? Man, I remember when he did this to Peter. I wonder if Jesus is going to come and free me from these chains and release me. I don't think he was thinking that. Think what Paul recognizes that God's going to work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good will and purpose. So, what actually happens? That night, the Lord appeared to Paul. Not in a vision, not in a dream. Literally, he appeared to Paul. It wasn't an angel of the Lord, which might have been Jesus. This was Jesus. He shows up. Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. 
In the midst of his utter discouragement, Jesus shows up and he encourages Paul. Now let's bring some application to life. See, Paul was never called to defend himself, nor are you. He was simply called to testify to the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus. That's the mission we're on as Christians, and that's what he did. By doing so, Paul demonstrated for us how to live relying on God's grace for strength and how to leave the results up to God. Three things by way of seeing how Jesus appeared to Paul and encouraged him, we'll take that on ourselves. The first one is this. We can have confidence that Jesus is with us. If you're a Christian, Jesus is with you. And that will never change. Though we might have felt alone, Paul was never alone. And neither are we. You ever feel alone? You're not. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is with you. Jesus was with him, encouraging him along the way, and he's going to do that for us. Here's a promise of God's word. Hebrews 13, 5. God says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Do you believe that? I'm going to suggest three ways in which Jesus is proving to be with us daily. Number one, his Holy Spirit resides in every single follower of Christ. Jesus literally in you. Number two, the Word of God. Why do we ask you to be in the Word so often and so regularly? Because it's in the Word of God that Jesus meets us and He gives us food for our soul. He feeds us. And the third one is through His church. We are the body of Christ. We're joined and connected together through Christ. And when one of us is down, God sends another to encourage and lift us up. Ever had that Christian show up in your life and encourage you and pray for you when you were in the pit of despair and you were like, wow, they showed up at the right time as if Jesus didn't know you needed that, right? How do we take that? Honestly, we take that as Jesus showing up and doing what he did with Paul. That's what he'll do for us. Listen to Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Don't be afraid for I have ransomed you. I bought you with a price. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of opposition or oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? Because Jesus will be with you. Number two, Jesus is for you. Jesus showed up in Paul's life and encouraged him by telling him two things. The first one is to have courage. Be encouraged. What does it mean to take courage? This is what it means. To be comforted by the words and the promises of Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you should be comforted by the fact that Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. Have you ever taken a little kid to the pool or to the lake? and you, they're, they're afraid of the water, and so you grab their hand and you walk them in? 
Or you go to the edge and you reach out and they jump into your arms. Why are they willing to go with you? Because when you're present in their life, doing that for them, they find courage. They're comforted. They're not doing it alone, and they can do something because they have confidence in who they're doing it with. That's true of the Christian life and who Jesus is for us. We shouldn't back down. We should be willing to stand in the hard spaces and places in life because Jesus has promised to us is I've got you covered. So next time you're meeting with your family and you're feeling mocked and put down, don't forget, Jesus is with you. And by his grace, you can have those conversations. Number two, Jesus also told Paul, you will go to Rome and testify about me like you did here in Jerusalem. What does this do? It gave Paul all the confidence in the world that moving ahead God's plan is going to prevail for my life. In Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? God is for us. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Nobody. Nobody. The third thing we can take away is that Jesus is going to use you. Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. And Jesus is going to use you. As a Christian, if you're still alive on earth, then God isn't done using you. You need to hear that. A few weeks ago, I was visiting Marv Whitaker. He blessed my socks off, and let me tell you why. Marv's 93 years old, going to be 94 in a few months. Marv, about a year ago, broke his neck, and he's paralyzed from the neck down. He's wrestling with God as he's laying in a bed, can do nothing on his own in a nursing home. And he says to God, why would you let me live out the rest of my years like this? What could I possibly do for you? Why didn't you just take me home? And it was then and there that God spoke to him, and this is what God said to Marv. I've given you a mind and I've given you a mouth and I want you to use them. And from that day forward, Marv's attitude changed and he recognized something. I'm left in this world to help those who care for me know how to care for people properly. I've been left in this world so that those who care for me, I can encourage. I've been left in this world so that those who care for me, I can tell them about the good news of Jesus. So what's your excuse? Maybe you need to have that conversation with God. What on earth am I still here for? Because I promise you this, the day you're gone is the day God's done with you on earth. He can take you home. But if you're not home, he still needs you here. Question is, what are you doing? Stay focused on what the Lord wants to accomplish through you. Let's leave both the challenges and the results up to God. And remember that any plot or plan that Satan brings against us will never prevail when we consider the mission that God has for us and through us.
The Christian life won't always be easy, but God will give us the strength to endure. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. What a great challenge. What a great reminder of your grace that is completely sufficient, not only for our salvation, but for the Christian life. Help us to be reminded, as Paul was when you showed up, Jesus, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that, God, you are going to use us. Help us to submit to you in that way in Christ's name. Amen.